Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over a hundred articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Today, you and I are going to be joined by Mel Schwartz. Welcome, Mel. How are you today? I'm excellent this morning, Billy. Nice to meet you. Mel is a psychotherapist and a marriage counselor in private practice in Westport, Connecticut, and Manhattan for over 20 years. He's also an emerging voice in the field of personal transformation and is one of the first practicing psychotherapists to integrate the principles of quantum physics into a psychotherapeutic approach. He's the author of The Possibility Principle, and he also blogs for Psychology Today. Mel, can you take a few moments to fill in those gaps and maybe also give us a brief glimpse of your personal life? Certainly. Um, well, there, the, the gaps are all over the place. The question here, Billy, is where do you think your listener would be best served? What are the gaps that you're looking for me to move toward? I, you know, whatever. I've never really had anyone ask me that. They just kind of everyone likes talking about themselves. <laughs> you know. Well, well, I, I guess the psychotherapist in me is, is coming out and revealing themselves <laughs> because I begin where the person I'm speaking to is interested. So yeah. it might be helpful to your listener to get some background or understand what prompted me to write this book or what my perspectives are. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking it might be fascinating to how, because I know how I got interested in in quantum physics. You know, how did you get involved in this? And, you know, I'll tell you how I got involved. Going back 20 some odd years ago, I was um, recently divorced. My sons, who were young at the time, were with their mother on a particular weekend. Ordinarily, they lived with me. And I went out for a bike ride on a beautiful spring morning and found that during that bike ride, um, I was missing them terribly. And that it turned into an anxiety attack, Billy. Um, My heart started pounding every moment felt like it was going to last an eternity. I had never experienced an anxiety attack previously. I turned around and rode the bike back home, not knowing what relief I'd get going into my house. And when I got home, I absentmindedly reached for a book, which was called The Turning Point, by a quantum physicist named Fridtjof Capra. And this book was about this great paradigm shift, what nowadays we call worldview shift, where we were transitioning from an old understanding of reality given to us by Newton and Descartes in the 17th century toward this new perspective of reality, which came primarily from quantum physics. 
And it was about a shift into seeing that everything is inseparable, interconnected as a whole, kind of like Eastern religion would have told us. And that this quantum reality was bubbling with potential. And within 10 or 15 minutes of reading this, I noticed I was no longer anxious. I was having what I came to call defining moment. My life was changing. Well, that hasn't stopped for me over the last 20 some odd years. Um, I'm not a scientist. I don't do mathematical formulas. Um, I look at simple principles of quantum physics. And so I changed my beliefs and my thinking to align with this new reality. And my life opened up. And my relationship with fear changed altogether. And then I started to integrate these principles and approaches into my work as a therapist. And it was very successful. And that prompted me to start to write this book, which was five to six years in the making for me to write the possibility principle. The subtitle is how quantum physics can improve the way you think, live, and love. So that's what brought me to this moment in time. The traditional first question on this Friday show is for you to give us your definition of fear is to help us understand what fear is. So would you do that for us today? Certainly. And I'll call it a description rather than a definition, Billy, because when we define something, we say something is this or that. I I find that to be a categorical error because things are always changing. From the quantum perspective, we shouldn't say reality is because that suggests something's fixed. I rather look at it in terms of reality is a reality making process. It's perpetually unfolding. So my current understanding of the word fear is that fear is commonplace in the human experience. And I don't think that that's an issue. Um, If I go out driving during a snowstorm or there's ice on the road or other such things, fear is appropriate. The problem we have and many people have is with their relationship with fear. When your thoughts are perpetually seeking out fear, then you end up with a disorder. That's what anxiety is. Anxiety is about somebody's relationship with their thoughts where their thoughts are perpetually looking for what if, but what if in a negative way, not in a positive way. So there's appropriate fear which is that if I don't get to the gym and work out and I've reached a certain age, it's likely I'm going to move toward the state of being unhealthy, if not diseased. That's a reasonable fear. But to wake up every day and think, well, one out of three people will get cancer, um, am I okay? And to have that thought every day is an unreasonable fear. It would be reasonable to live my life in a way where I reduce those odds. So I wrote an article called Living a Fearless Life, and there was a hyphen between fear and less. My intention there was that I wasn't proposing that you'll live a life without any fear. At the extremes, that can happen, but that's a reach. For most people, the goal is to live a life with less fear. I deal with one aspect of this thoroughly in my book. People ask me about the title, The Possibility Principle. Well, in our lives, 
we tend to seek certainty, predictability. Um, we start to calculate, if I do this or don't do this, what will the result be? This came from Newton's theory of determinism, that if we had enough information, we might reasonably predict the future. To an extent, that makes sense. But on another level, taken to the extreme, the epidemic of anxiety that we experience in our culture is due, in my belief, to becoming addicted to certainty. Because you see, life is uncertain. Quantum physics tells us it's uncertain. I look at that as good news because uncertain equals possibility. Uncertain equals potential. Now, in the nanosecond, before I have my next thought and become my next thought, I exist in the pure state of potential. But if I keep having the same old thoughts and the same old feelings, I don't access change. I get stuck. So what I teach my readers to do and the clients I work with, and I work with people all over the country and all over the world by, by Skype, is what I teach them to do is to develop the ability to see their thought and then choose whether to become the thought or not. You see, when you can see the thought, you're actually thinking. There's a sense of me that is larger than the thought. Otherwise, for most of us, we live out our lives imprisoned by the millions of thoughts, and they tend to have a recurring habitual theme, and what those thoughts are telling us and tricking us and that's how we live out our lives. So for me, the goal to access change, to put fear in its proper place, is to be able to see my thought and engage in what I call thinking. Now, I know I covered a lot of territory right there, so you may have some questions. I do. And the first one is, how can we change our thoughts? How can we master our thinking so that we don't replicate behavior coming from old thought patterns? Excellent question. And I'm always beware of any book or any approach that says the six steps to this or you can accomplish this in 10 minutes. So all I can do now is give your listener an inkling, a little taste of what it looks like. But you really need to move into it in depth, which is to either work with me or someone who works like I do, or to read my book. Now, the way it begins is this. Suppose I'm working with somebody in a workshop, a seminar, or private practice, and I propose an approach for them to change something they want to change. Very often their response will be, that's hard to do. And I'll pause and I'll say, how do you know that's hard to do? Have you ever tried this? And they'll say, no. I said, so why did you say it's hard to do? What I'll teach them is to say, I'm having a thought. And my thought is telling me it's hard to do. You see, that's thought tricking us. And that's thought defending its territory. Old thought, and 99.9% of our thought is old thought. Old thought defends its territory. So when you try to access change, old thought says to you, it's hard to do. So what I teach people to do is to see that that is thought tricking you. You don't know it's hard to do. Nobody ever taught you how to do this. Why aren't we open-minded? Step number one, look at the thought, 
see what the thought's telling you and ask yourself, how do I know that's true? When you do that, you're thinking. So from a Christian point of view, you're supposed to examine your thoughts and determine whether they're good or bad. And I also know, too, that thoughts and habits have a, a chemical addictive combination uh, together. So is it really, you really just have to practice? Is that you just need to constantly think and examine? Well, well, Billy, firstly, when we are examining our thoughts, we're still not thinking because it's more thought examining the thought you just had. Um, I think that part of fear, a large part of fear has to do with excess of analyzing. You know, we as a culture analyze. To analyze means we try to reduce something to its smallest part. We slice and dice it. Again, analyzing came to us from Descartes, who said to know the whole, try to reduce it to its smallest part. Now, analyzing should be a tool in the toolbox of our mind. In our mind's toolbox, there's a time to analyze. But when that's the only way we operate, we're lost. Think of analyzing like this, walking through life with a pair of binoculars attached to your face. That's analyzing. But you miss the big picture. You miss the whole, which is where intuition and wisdom comes from. So there are many ways of knowing. Analyzing should be a particular way of knowing. So when our thought analyzes, it slices and dissects, it's acting in such a narrow, specific way. It disconnects from our emotional state. It disconnects from our state of deep intuition and wisdom. Um, I'm very specific as to when I analyze. Most of the time, I don't operate from analyzing. And as a therapist, it is very, very rare for me to analyze. I wouldn't be serving the people I work with if I were analyzing them. So how do you know when you've analyzed too much? Because I know that that's a, a beta wave and that sort of blocks you into getting into those quantum fields. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you're not conscious and aware, how, how do you know? <laughs> Ooh, that, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And there is no you know, I, I, on the one hand, I don't want to sound like I'm hawking my book <laughs> because I'm modest and I'm not a salesperson. But the methods and approaches that I've developed in my book really teach the reader how to do that because it's a vitally important question. You also spoke about the, the, our brain and the biochemistry. You know, most people believe that your, your biochemistry and your brain chemistry um, is what impacts your thoughts. And I'm depressed because of my brain chemistry. I see it all together the other way around, which is that your brain doesn't produce your thoughts. Think of this. You're walking on the sand at the beach. You look behind you and you see your footprint. Did the sand produce your footprint? Of course not. Your, your foot left its mark on the sand. Our thoughts and feelings leave their mark on our brain. And that's good news because it means we are not hardwired. Hardwired being a term from Newtonian machine-like universe. We have no wires. We're not hardwired. When you learn to meditate, your brain chemistry is altered. When I work with people and I teach them to free themselves from the burden of fearful 
self-denigrating analytical thought, their brain chemistry changes. I view that as good news. You don't need medication. In fact, sometimes medication can get in the way of your transformative process. You also talked about in your book about embracing uncertainty, and that's a really scary situation uh, because we have a tendency to want to embrace the familiarity because it's familiar. And even if it's painful, right, it, it's we'd rather deal with that than deal with the unknown. So what could you tell us today that could help us to release ourselves from that rock and just flow? So you use the term release yourself from the rock, and that is a metaphor I share in my book. So you're quite right. We stay stuck in the familiar, even if the familiar is miserable, out of the fear of the unknown and the uncertain, and that unknown could provide relief. So it makes no sense. So the metaphor is this. Let's, let's make believe, Billy, that you're terrified of uncertainty. And I say to you, Billy, I want you to do a visualization with me. Picture yourself on the bank of a river and the flow of water, the current of the river, we're going to call that the flow of life. That's life. It's the life force. And I say to you, come on into the river with me. I want to help you engage in the flow of life. Embrace some uncertainty. And reluctantly, you do and you join me. We get into the middle of the river where the current picks up. It's getting strong. And you grab a hold of a boulder. And I said, Billy, what are you doing? And you say to me, well, Mel, look, up ahead, the river bends to the right, and I don't know where it's going. I have to know where it's going. I need to be certain. And I say to you, no, we need to let go of the boulder and get in the flow. Once we're in the flow, we're free to navigate along the way. We haven't given up our power and self-determination, but if you hold on to the rock, you've given up all your power and self-determination. Now, learning to embrace uncertainty is essential for actually living your life more effortlessly. Look at our culture. We, many people are sports fans. Billions and billions of dollars spent on sports. Why? Well, being a spectator and watching sports is the thrill of the uncertainty. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know who will win. We go to movies, read books to engage uncertainty. Yet in our lives, we live choked, dulled lives because we become addicted to certainty. So arguably, one of the most important things we can learn to do is embrace it. And as I'm sure you know and your listeners have heard, when you embrace what you fear, the fear dissipates. So if you embrace the uncertain, you won't be frightened of uncertainty. It's the only pathway forward. So there's another phenomenon in quantum physics that's essential to our change process. So I'm going to need to take a few moments to describe it. In quantum physics, and please remember, I'm a lay person. I'm not a scientist. So my descriptions are merely metaphorical. In quantum physics, light has a strangeness call a quantum weirdness to it. Light can exist as a wave or as a particle. Now, when light exists as a wave, that wave in quantum physics is the equivalent of a state of pure potential. Absolute potential. It's not yet a thing. It's in a state of potential. But when the light is observed, when an observation is made of the light, the light 
literally collapses and it becomes a particle, a fixed thing. So I had an aha moment and I thought that wave collapse, that's what we call it. That wave collapse is similar to what happens to us in our lives. When we are born or even before birth, depending upon your spiritual beliefs, your identity, your personality, it's in a state of potential. But due to certain things that may occur often early in life, and they may, they may be acute and traumatic, and they may be very subtle, your sense of self starts to get confined and limited. For example, I was working with a woman in her mid-40s who had some significant self-esteem issues, and she shared with me that when she was about seven or eight, her mother told her that she was unwanted as a child, that her mother did not want to get pregnant with her. This had a profound impact on her. She felt unloved, unwanted, not worthy. That's what I call a wave collapse. It starts to shape your identity and what you think of yourself. Now, not all wave collapses are negative, but this one was. I call that a confining moment. It confined her. Decades later, I'm helping her break free. I call those defining moments. So in her defining moment, we're working toward helping her understand that her beliefs, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, that belief sets off millions of concurrent thoughts that limit her. So I'm trying to work with her to break free from that wave collapse to open to her infinite possibility. Her infinite possibility is she does not have to be confined to that confining wave collapse. She can learn to break free. What if my mother hadn't said that to me? What if I had a different mother? What if my circumstances were different? I would then be worthy and lovable? Am I going to reduce my life to being unlovable because of this painful moment? I can choose to become someone different than I have been. It's in the choosing, and that comes back to choosing to think differently and stop replicating those old thoughts. That's how wave collapse works. It's uh, an entire chapter in my book and explains the process as to how to achieve this. Yeah, when I read that concept and, and the supporting studies that you, you, you put in there and you mentioned with it too about the concept of light being you know, a wave until it's actually observed and it becomes physical and matter that really triggered some deep thoughts about, you know, if, you know, even in regards to fear, it was like, if you focus on it, then it sort of materializes. Exactly. Well, th that's how we construct reality. Yeah, it just, that was... That was definitely like I was so entranced with that, and I, I just kept reading it over and over again because that's like a key right there. That's what you focus on sort of manifests. and What, what, what we look for is what we will see. Yeah. That's it. And that, that, har that harbinges back to thought. If our thought is looking for something, that's what we see, and that's how our life becomes experienced. doesn't need to be that way. Mel, if someone would like to connect with you and learn more about the quantum physics and in your book, The Possibility Principle, how would they best go do about doing that? Well, you can. Firstly, they can read more um, about the book um, and watch some videos by going to my website, which is my name, 
M-E-L-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z.com. And they can send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You know, I wanted to ask you before we like just go into the the final closeout. Um, yes. How can we connect with the quantum field? Do you have a meditation cycle? Is there something that you teach that helps us to get to that point? Um, it is not a specific meditation. I have some visualizations in the book, but I would say the first foremost step is we cannot connect to the quantum field or the state of oneness if we're analyzing. Analyzing removes us from the oneness. Analyzing is a fragmenting of thought where anytime we analyze, we're slicing and dicing reality. Imagine going up to a great painting that you've long wanted to witness, but you don't stand back at five or 10 feet away and look at the painting. You walk right up with a magnifying glass and start to analyze it. You don't get to take in the painting, do you? Well, to, t- to engage in the quantum field, you have to start to rethink and reconsider your operating beliefs about oneness. Now, quantum physics is affirming all of the deep, mystical, and Eastern spiritual traditions. Science is showing us the spirituality of oneness. Mel, what parting advice would you like to leave with us today? You know, people go through life either thinking why I can't dot, 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 or why can't I dot, dot, dot. I think it is a pivotal philosophical perspective. I was blessed in my life to go through life with why can't I? And because of that, I've been able to. If If you have gone through your life with an attitude and a belief around why I can't, you're succumbing to fear and to a lesser sense of self. You can change that. There's something in your personal wave collapses that contributed to that. You can learn to break free. The first step is to think it may be possible and then go and explore what works for you in making that transformative process happen in your life. Mel, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and not only just spending time with us, um, but just sharing the the content from your book and helping us to get a better understanding of quantum physics and how it really can change how we view the world. So thank you. It was my pleasure, Billy. It was wonderful meeting you and speaking with you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book, at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast, or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening, and until next time, have a great day, and keep summoning up those new possibilities. Oh,